Well, a couple of weeks ago, we were at youth convention, and Gil was scheduled to share God's word that morning, and he had a, an emergency and couldn't, so you watch that video. Well, now I get to be back and I actually listen to his sermon that he prepared for that day, and I'm excited to hear it. Are you guys ready? I mean, praise the Lord. You're up, buddy. I wish God had built knees better. <laughs> Excuse me, if I don't do this, I'm not going to make it. Okay. Hallelujah. Pastor Jeff already prayed, but if you don't mind, let's do it again. Father, I thank you for this place. I thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, I just ask that you uh, let your words come out of my mouth, Lord. Um, let them be a blessing to those who need to hear them. And bless each and every one of us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So I, I guess a dead dog is an emergency. So our, our dog passed away three, three weeks ago, was it? I've lost track of time now. Uh, and you all know about Marion and what she's going through. Uh, so God, God has been busy in my life and in her life. And if you don't mind, can we talk for a minute this morning? I look out here and I see, first of all, those of you that are watching on YouTube and whatever, there's seats here you need to fill. And I think it's awesome the technology lets you stay at home and watch church, but you're missing something. The Holy Spirit fell here this morning, and it's hard to feel that when you're at home watching it on TV. So if you can, come on in. We've got plenty of seats for you. We, we'll even put more up. So, hallelujah. Um, I look out over all you people here and, and think about the last couple weeks that, that we've spent, and, and I want to tell you something. My house is full of cards and letters and stuffed dogs, stuffed animals that uh, what one person here in particular has bought, and she went to great lengths to find a stuffed animal that looked almost exactly like our little puppy, which my wife really appreciated. It's, it's sitting on her dresser right now. Um, my wife was in the hospital for a week. I'm, I'm probably the only husband that, whose wife was in the hospital for a week and I gained five pounds, uh, <laughs> thanks to Jesse and a bunch of, a bunch of others here that brought food and, and all that kind of stuff. But I guess, I guess what I want to say is this, this is a family. This is a support group. This is God working amongst people, you know? Uh, what's, what's the old 70s term, Jesus with skin on? You know, that's, that's, that's what, what you all are, and I appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. Uh, my wife has gone through a lot in the past 30, 40 years, uh, uh, but, but God has been faithful. God brought her out of addiction. God got her through broken hip, broken ankle, a, a ton of stuff, and God will get her through this. Uh, she got some real encouraging news from not only the oncologist, but the radiologist, they both use the term cure, which I've never heard cancer doctors do. Um, so she's, uh, and she's doing things that I thought she would turn down. She's going to have the radiation. She's going to have the light chemo. 
She's refused surgery, which her pulmonary doctor says she can't have because they won't get her off the ventilator. So as she says, that's no way to live or not live. So she's not going to do that. But, you know, I see God moving in all this. You know, I heard Dick saying, you know, he, he's done things he never thought he would do. I've done things I've never thought I would be able to do too in the past couple of years. And let me tell you, God is awesome. We serve an awesome God. We really do. So, my sinuses and my allergies are so bad this morning that I'm going to have to wear my glasses. That's a good excuse, right? It's better than saying I'm old, I can't see anymore. A couple weeks ago, I forget how many now, I, I preached a sermon on Daniel, on the first couple chapters of Daniel. And I, I found while doing that that there's probably... 20 or so sermons that you could do from Daniel. And, and if you go on to get into the themes that Daniel covered, there's probably 100 sermons you could do. So what I'm hoping to do this morning is get from chapter 5 through chapter 8 of the book of Daniel. And we're going to start with chapter 5. Now, I'm sure you've all heard the phrase, the handwriting on the wall. Well, this is where it comes from. Daniel 5, verses 1 to 4 says, Many years later, King Belshazzar gave a great feast for a thousand of his nobles, and he drank wine with them. That's, that's, a, that's quite a group, a thousand people. While Belshazzar was drinking the wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver cups that his predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. He wanted to drink from them with his nobles, his wives, and his concubines. So they brought these gold cups taken from the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. While they drank from them, they praised their idols made of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Now, so here we have a pretty arrogant king, right? Um, these vessels were from Solomon's temple, and he used dishes that were sacred to Yahweh and he used them to bless pagan gods during a drunken party with his noblemen and their women. So that was, that was committing sacrilege against God. And if you have a tough time relating to that, how many of you play golf? One of you, man. What happened, what happened to golf? It depends on who you're with, really, you know. I, I can remember I had a foursome that we spent more time rolling around on the greens laughing at each other than we did playing golf. But, but, but this, what this king did was like going out, playing golf in a thunderstorm on a rainy day uh, and going to the highest green and sticking your one, up, one iron up in the air and saying, okay, God, take your best shot. Yeah, it, it's... That's what he did. So while they're partying out of nowhere, this hand appears and writes four words on the wall. Now, a thousand people, a king, and all, and all of the entourage that was there. And the king got so frightened that his knees start to knock. Now, I don't know. I, I've never had that happen. Have any of you had that happen, that your knees knock when you're scared? Yeah? Well, that's what happened to this guy. So... And this seems to be a pattern here in this, in this uh, kingdom. 
He calls all his wise men together, and as usual, no one can understand what it said. We had that the last time when we talked about Daniel. You know, all the wise men, they couldn't, they couldn't understand what the dream was. And while this is going on, the king's mommy hears about it, and she says, well, why don't you call Daniel in? And if, if we follow on to Daniel 5, verses 13 to 16, it says, so Daniel was brought in before the king. The king asked him, are you Daniel? That's a dumb question, but he says, are you Daniel, one of the exiles brought from Judah by my predecessor, King Nebuchadnezzar? I have heard that you have the spirit of the gods within you and that you are filled with insight, understanding, and wisdom. My wise men and enchanters have tried to read the words on the wall and tell me their meaning, but they cannot do it. I am told that you can give interpretations and solve difficult problems. If you can read these words and tell me their meaning, you will be clothed in purple, purple robes of royal honor, and you will have a gold chain placed around your neck. You will become the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Now, interesting here, the, the, the New Living Translation that I'm reading from says pre predecessor. The King James Version says Father Nebuchadnezzar. And that's caused some controversy, but I think what we have to understand is Nebuchadnezzar was Belshazzar's father the same way that Jesus was David's son. We're talking about a lineage here. We're talking about, you know, generational kind of thing. But he wasn't actually his son. As a matter of fact, there were four kings between Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar, and about 43 years had passed since, uh, since Nebuchadnezzar. Now, if you think about that, what happened to Nebuchadnezzar? He, he became like an animal, right? Now, it's only 43 years. I'm sure you, some of you can remember what happened in 1980 or about that. Um, so Belshazzar should have known what happened to Nebuchadnezzar when he went against God out of arrogance. But he totally ignored it. Now what Daniel does, and, and, and I like this part because it, it's so like today where we have people that want to ignore the wisdom of those who went before us and do whatever they want, and, it blows up, and then they wonder why it blows up in their faces. So, so God reminds this king what God did for him and what God did for and to Nebuchadnezzar. In uh, Daniel 5 verses 25 to 28 he says, this is the message that was written, and I'll, I'm going to butcher this, but many, many tekel parson. This is what the words mean. Many means numbered. God has numbered the days of your reign and has brought it to an end. Tekel means weighed, and you have been weighed on the balances and have not measured up. Parson means divided. Your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. So the king I don't know why I wouldn't have, but the king made Daniel the third highest ruler in the kingdom, and the next day the king was assassinated, and the Medes took over. So as far as a lesson from this goes, I think we humans tend to think that things will either continue as they are, and we're good at that, that they're going to slowly get worse or slowly get better, and we forget God has the ability to change things at a moment's notice. What's it say? In the twinkling of an eye. Um, so, you know, you, you, have, you had this going on. 
And we, we should remember that God pays attention to what we do to honor him or to not honor him, as he did here. Now, the next, the next piece here is everyone's favorite children's Bible story. Remember it? Daniel in the lion's den, right? Did you know that Daniel was 81 years old when they put him in the lion's den? I was shocked to find that out because when you look at the, the Bible story in the books downstairs and everything, you see this almost like a young boy. He was 81. He didn't look at all like that young boy pictured in the, in the Bible story. And here's how it happened. The Medes had taken over as soon as Belshazzar was assassinated and Darius the Mede was king. So for some reason, he, divide, he decided to divide the country into 120 provinces, each ruled by a high officer. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? We have, what, 50 states, thousands of counties. He appointed Daniel and two others as his administrators to protect his interests. So there were three guys that the king put over all this mess. Well, Daniel was so good at it that the king planned to place him over the entire region. Well, guess what happened? The other officials found out, and what did they do? They plotted against Daniel. Sounds so much like today, it's unbelievable. So they knew he prayed to God openly several times a day, so they, they came up with this plan. And the plan you'll, you can read in Daniel 6, verses 6 to 9, it says, so the administrators and high officers went to the king and said, Long live King Darius. We are, all in, we are all in agreement, we administrators, officials, high officers, advisors, and governors, that the king should make a law that will be strictly enforced. Give orders for the next 30 days that any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions. And now, your majesty, issue and sign this law so it cannot be changed. An official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. So King Darius signed the law. Now, when I read this, I'm asking myself, well, where was Daniel? Did he say this was okay? The Bible doesn't tell us. Scripture doesn't tell us what he thought. Now, when Daniel heard of it, which kind of leads me to believe he didn't know about it, even though they said all the administrators agreed, what did he do? Who remembers what he did? He prayed, right? He went to his roof and prayed, which, which was what he did every day. And he took it to God in prayer, knowing full well that he was violating this law. So my question for us is, is do, do you all pray openly? You know, I, when somebody asks you to pray, they say, pray for me, and you say, okay, I'll, I'll pray for you. I was one of those people that said, okay, I'll pray for you. And I, I'd pray for him at home or something like that. Something happened to me years ago, and, and one of my friends from church was, was at my place of work. We were having lunch together in the, in the break room. And I said, uh, Rick, I need you to pray for me for this. He said, okay, Gil, and he prayed right there in front of about 30 people. And it wasn't the, it was, he prayed. Not, not maybe as good as Dick did, but almost that loud. And I was shocked. So, so since then, what I've been trying to do is when somebody asks me to pray, if I can anyway do it, I pray right there. 
And, and I, think, I think that's, that's biblical, I think. So here we have Daniel up on the rooftop praying and naturally the other administrators are waiting for this. You know, they see him praying and what do they do? Well, Daniel 6, 12, 13 says, so they went straight to the king and reminded him about his law. Did you not sign a law that for the next 30 days any person who prays to anyone divine or human except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions? Yes, the king replied, that decision stands. It is an official law of the Medes and Persians and cannot be revoked. Then they told the king, that man Daniel, one of the captives from Judah, notice they didn't say one of your administrators, one of the captives from Judah is ignoring you and your law. He still prays to his God three times a day. Now, what I find interesting about this whole thing is here you have a pagan king, doesn't believe in God, but Daniel was so good at what he did and had the spirit of God about him so much that this king was really upset and he spent a whole day trying to think of a way to get him out of this. You know, what do I do? What do, how, do I, how do I avoid throwing him into the lions? It, it kind of goes along what we, with what we hear from Pastor Jeff about we have to behave in such a way that people notice us because they're watching us. And if we behave like Christ, like Christians, they're going to want what we have. Well, obviously, this king was affected by that. Daniel had so much of the glory of God about him that the king wanted to save him because he saw that he was different in a good way. I mean, he wanted to promote him above everybody else to start with. Unfortunately, and I don't know why this is, their laws were set up that once a law was signed by a king, no other king could revoke it, even that same king. That's, that's kind of crazy, but that's, that's the way they operated. So Daniel 6, verses 16 to 18 says, So at last, at last, the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. The king said to him, May your God, whom you serve so faith, faithfully, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and the seals of his nobles so that no one could rescue Daniel. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night fasting. He refused his usual entertainment and couldn't sleep at all that night. So we can see that Darius was upset. He fasted. Now, I don't know if that was a common occurrence for their religions. Um... And he couldn't sleep. And the next day he was up at the crack of dawn and at the lion's den. And verses 20 to 23 say, When he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God whom you serve so faithfully able to rescue you from the lions? And this voice comes out and says, Long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth so that they would not hurt me. For I have been found innocent in his sight, and I have not wronged you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den. Not a scratch was found on him, for he had trusted in his God. Anybody remember what happens next? The king has all the administrators and their families thrown in the lion's den, and guess what? They don't make out as good as Daniel did. They just don't. They got torn to shreds. 
And then the king makes a decree in 26 and 28, he says, I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed and his rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So that's interesting. Here, here's, a, here's a testimony to God from a pagan king. I, I don't know about you guys, I find that kind of amazing. Well, what do we learn from this? Well, first of all, I think the biggest, biggest thing is pray to God. Pray openly, pray often, and do it no matter what anyone says. God is more than capable of protecting his own and of humbling those people who mock you. And, and believe me, there's a lot of people out there that mock us. It, it's in our nature to fear bucking the group. You know, we want to fit in. We want to be friends with everybody. We, we want, want all that. But there's a time approaching, and I think it's approaching swiftly, where you're going to have to make a choice of who and what you're going to stand for. And I think that's going to apply to all of us. And praying and worshiping, I think, are two of the most important things we can do as, as Christians. And, and you know, as my grandmother used to say, as sure as you're a foot high, Satan is going to come against that and do everything that he can to make that as hard as possible. All right, now we're going to move into the confusing and good stuff. Uh, Daniel chapter 7 is a vision that was given to him while Belshazzar was still king. So we're jumping backwards. And Scripture does that a lot of times, um, the, way, the way the Scripture is ordered. Uh, you can buy a chronological Bible and read it in, in chronological order. But um, So Daniel, we're going back to when Daniel was in his late 60s or maybe early 70s, about 10 years before the lion's den incident. And this can get pretty difficult to follow, and, and Pastor was good enough to loan me Warren Wiersbe, one of Warren Wiersbe's books. Uh, and, I'm, and what you're going to hear is what I've gleaned from that and a couple other com commentaries. And I'll do my best to keep you all awake, I promise. Some of you are going to love this, and some of you are going to... Um, so Daniel was given a vision of six kingdoms. Four were of this world. One was the kingdom of Satan, and one was the kingdom of the Messiah. So if you look at verses 1 to 3, and I'm not going to go through the whole chapter verse for verse. It, it would take us forever. If you look at uh, Daniel 7, verses 1 to 3, it says, Earlier, during the first, king first year of King Belshazzar's reign in Babylon, Daniel had a dream and saw visions as he lay in his bed. He wrote down the dream, and this is what he saw. In my vision that night, I, Daniel, saw a great storm churning the surface of a great sea with strong winds blowing from every direction. Then four huge beasts came up out of the water, each different from the others. Now, in the Bible, a restless sea is often used to reference the nations, the churning of the, of the nations. Uh, Isaiah 17, verses 12 and 13 says, Listen, the armies of many nations roar like the roaring of the sea. Hear the thunder of the mighty forces as they rush forward like thundering waves. 
But though they thunder like breakers on a beach, God will silence them and they will run away. They will flee like chaff scattered by the wind, like a tumbleweed whirling before a storm. Ezekiel 26.3 says, Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I am your enemy, O Tyre, and I will bring many nations against you like the waves of the sea crashing against your shoreline. So this is representing all the turmoil in the nations. Now, if you jump to the, uh, the part where Daniel sees the four beasts, it says the first beast, that's verses four to seven, the first beast was like a lion with eagle's wings. As I watched, its wings were pulled off and it was left standing with its two hind feet on the ground like a human being and it was given a human mind. Then I saw a second beast and it looked like a bear. It was rearing up on one side and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth and I heard a voice saying to it, get up, devour the flesh of many people. Then the third of these strange beasts appeared and it looked like a leopard. It had four birds wings on its back and it had four heads. Great authority was given to this beast. Then in my vision that night I saw a fourth beast, terrifying, dreadful and very strong. It devoured and crushed its victims with huge iron teeth and trampled their remains beneath its feet. It was different from any of the other beasts, and it had ten horns. So this, this is what Wearsby says. He says, the lion with the eagle's wings represented the kingdom of Babylon. That was Nebuchadnezzar and, and those kings. The wings being pulled off reminds us of how God humbled Nebuchadnezzar for seven years. Remember the... He, he was with the, with the donkeys for seven years, basically, grazing. Um, and God had told Daniel that this empire would fall, which it did. The bear with the three ribs in its mouth symbolized the Medo-Persian empire, which Darius and, and the guys we just talked about were in, raised up on one side because the Persians were stronger than the Medes, if you, if you can picture that. And most interpreters feel that the ribs signified the kingdoms of Lydia, Egypt, and Babylon, which are the kingdoms the Medes conquered. The leopard with four wings, four heads, and four horns represented Alexander the Great and his swift conquest, which greatly expanded the kingdom of Greece. Now, did any of you study Alexander the Great in school? Do they still, they still teach about him? He was 32 years old. And he, he conquered pretty much the world at that time. And we have a lot of information about him, but his death is kind of a mystery. Some say he was assassinated. Some say his generals poisoned him. Some say he died of natural causes. I don't know how you die of natural causes at 32, but maybe back then you did. The number four in verse six is significant because Alexander's untimely death did what? Well, they left without a successor. So... His kingdom was divided into four parts. You have Ptolemy I, got Palestine and Egypt. It's interesting to note that his dynasty includes Queen Cleopatra. Remember her? She was Greek, not Egypt. I didn't know that. She wasn't, wasn't an Egyptian. She was a Greek. Uh, Syria went to Seleucus I. Thrace and Asia Minor went to Lysismachus. And Macedon, and Macedon and Greece were governed by Antipater and Cassander, which I know that's all boring. Um, <laughs> who cares, right? <laughs> the dreadful and terrible beast represented Rome. 
both then and in our future. Now, I, I found that interesting, that, that this whole thing, the remnant of the Roman Empire is supposed to carry on into Revelation. Um, they conquered everything. The Romans conquered everything from the Atlantic Ocean east to the Caspian Sea and from North Africa to the Rhine and Danube rivers. That's a, look at that on a map when you get home. That's a big area. The ten horns represent ten kings that scholars think will come out of the remnants of the Roman Empire. Now, the next kingdom is, uh, is the kingdom of Satan. Daniel 7 verse 8 says, As I was looking at the horns, suddenly another small horn appeared among them. Three of the first horns were torn out by the roots to make room for it. This little horn had eyes like human eyes and a mouth that was boasting arrogantly. And then if you go to verse 11 and 12, it says, I continued to watch because I could hear the little horn's boastful speech. I kept watching until the fourth beast was killed and its body was destroyed by fire. The other three beasts had their authority taken from them, but they were allowed to live a while longer. And then jump to 21 26, and it says, As I watched this horn, the little horn, was waging war against God's holy people and was defeating them until the Ancient One, the Most High, came and judged in favor of his holy people. Then the time arrived for the holy people to take over the kingdom. Now, and, and Pastor may have to help me here. <laughs> All prophecy has that th this is what's happening now and this is what's going to happen over here. But but scripture doesn't tell you that in so many words. So the four kingdoms represented by the beasts in, in this passage of scripture have come and gone. The 10 horns haven't shown up yet. Daniel saw something that he didn't reveal to any of his kings. The last human kingdom would be an awful one and would even wage war on God. That's the kingdom of the Antichrist described in Revelations 13 through 19, which we're probably gonna hear about soon. Um, and that'll be destroyed when Christ returns to earth. Which, if you remember, remember the stone destroying Nebuchadnezzar's stat statue. Now, Daniel 7, verse 23 to 24, then he said to me, and this is an angel talking to him, this fourth beast is the fourth world power that will rule the earth. It will be different from all the others. It will devour the whole world, trampling and crushing everything in its path. It's ten horns or ten kings who will rule that empire. Then another king will arise, different from the other ten, who will subdue three of them. Now, the ten horns represent ten kingdoms that are supposed to exist in the last days. Some scholars think that that represents a ten-nation United States of Europe. Uh, and it's out of that, that ten-nation union that the Antichrist will come. A lot of people think this is the European Union, but right now the European Union has 27 countries. So we either got to get rid of 17 or, or it's not the EU. In verse 25, it says, He will defy the Most High and impress the holy, oppress the holy people of the Most High. He will try to change their sacred festivals and laws, and they will be placed under his control for a time, times, and half a time. Now, the little horn represents the Antichrist. Who, who will be the last human ruler on earth. And he's going to be both a counterfeit of Christ and against Christ. According to Daniel, he has to overcome the power of three other rulers to do what Satan has planned for him. This man is going to be very skilled at using words 
and able to attract followers and ultimately to convince the world that he is a god, little g. He will rule the world and will continue not only the economy and the religion, control not only the economy and the religion, but seek to change the laws. And he will rule for three and a half years. Verses 26 and 28 to 28 say, but then the court will pass judgment and all his power will be taken away and completely destroyed. Then the sovereign power and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be given to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will last forever and all rulers will serve and obey him. That was the end of the vision. I, that was the end of the vision. I, Daniel, was terrified by my thoughts and my face was pale with fear, but I kept these things to myself. Now, how many of you are confused besides me? No? Good. Now, I could do what Wiersbe does and start jumping back and forth between Daniel and Revelation and, and doing all that, but, but you guys would be glazed over by the time I'm done, and so would I. But, but I want to briefly cover chapter 8 before we finish, and I don't want you to lose consciousness while we're doing it, and man, it's early. All right, here we go. Like Pastor says, it ain't over till it's over. Now, in chapter 8, Daniel has another prophetic vision. And from this point to the end of the book, it's written in Hebrew. The previous chapters weren't. This is the, these are, to the end of the book, it's written in Hebrew. And most scholars feel that it's because these chapters are about God's plan for Israel in the end times. And it has prophecy for long ago and for the future again. So this vision happened in the third year of Belshazzar's reign. Daniel 8, verses 3 to 8 says, As I looked up, I saw a ram with two long horns standing beside the river. One of the horns was longer than the other, even though it had grown later than the other one. The ram butted everything out of his way to the west, to the north, and to the south, and no one could stand against him or help his victims. He did as he pleased and became very great. While I was watching, suddenly a male goat appeared from the west, crossing the land so swiftly that he didn't even touch the ground. This goat, which had one very large horn between its eyes, headed toward the two-horned ram that I had seen standing beside the river, rushing at him in a rage. The goat charged furiously at the ram and struck him, breaking off both his horns. Now the ram was helpless, and the goat knocked him down and trampled him. No one could rescue the ram from the goat's power. The goat became very powerful, but at the height of his power, his large horn was broken off. In the large horn's place grew four prominent horns pointing to the four directions of the earth. Okay, this is going to be fast, so hang on to your seats, but what's the goat sound like? Who's the goat? No, not here. Not yet. Wait for it. Greece, Hannibal, going, coming across the land so fast that his feet didn't touch the ground. Remember Hannibal went across the mountains and just swept down on the, yeah. Well, the ram is Cyrus or Persia that God used to defeat Babylon. Medes, Persia. And Okay, why, why did God do that? Well, 
If you go to Isaiah verses 40, uh, chapter 41, verse 2, it says, Who has stirred up this king from the east, rightly calling him to God's service? Who gives this man victory over many nations and permits him to trample their kings underfoot? With his sword, he reduces armies to dust. With his bow, he scatters them like chaff before the wind. Isaiah 44, 28 says, When I say of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, he will certainly do as I say. He will command, rebuild Jerusalem. He will say, restore the temple. So this is what I love about Bible and, the, and prophecy. Isaiah said this 100 years before Daniel came on the scene. And Cyrus was kind to the people he conquered and allowed the Jews to return to their homeland and rebuild the temple, if you remember in, in, some, of the, in some of the chapters in the Bible. He also allowed them to take back the sacred items Nebuchadnezzar had taken. Now, Isaiah even tells us why God called him. It says, Isaiah 45, 4 says, And why have I called you for this work? Why did I call you by name when you did not know me? It is for the sake of Jacob, my servant. Israel, my chosen one. Now, how many of you had people laugh at you and say, there's no God? Tell them about these passages. Isaiah's prophecies were between 740 and 686 B.C. Cyrus was king from 559 to 530 B.C., which is what? Who's a mathematician here? 200 years? Almost? So he's mentioned by name at least 100 years before he, was even, he even existed. Okay, now let's talk about the goat. Alexander the Great swept across the land, hence the goat moving so quickly that his feet didn't touch the ground. The horn breaking signifies Alexander's death in 323 BC. The four horns are the four leaders who took over the divided kingdom. Now for any of you that still are awake, Look at what this did. God used Cyrus to enable the Jews to rebuild the temple and return to their land. He used Alexander to drive out the Oriental influence that was starting to take over from the West and united everyone under the Greek language, which became what? The language of what? The New Testament. Think about how God... You know, we, we hear God holds the hearts of kings in his hand, and, and I think, you know, we don't think about that enough. God was operating a couple hundred years before this, these events even happened, and had Isaiah give the prophecy. And then you have, and then you have Daniel and Daniel's dreams and, and the prophecies that he did that are, that are putting all this stuff together. Daniel 8, verses 9 to 12 says, now, we're, now here's where we get fuzzy, er, we come to the not yet part of the vision. Then from one of the prominent horns came a small horn whose power grew very great. Now we've heard that before in chapter seven, didn't we? It extended toward the south and the east and toward the glorious land of Israel. Its power reached to the heavens where it attacked the heavenly army, throwing some of the heavenly beings and some of the stars to the ground and trampling them. It even challenged the commander of heaven's army by canceling the daily sacrifices offered to him and by destroying his temple. The army of heaven was restrained from responding to this rebellion, so the daily sacrifice was halted, the truth was overthrown, the horn succeeded in everything it did. Now, Daniel had to ask an angel to help interpret this one. 
And God sent Gabriel to come explain it. I think, is, is this the only time Gabriel was mentioned in Scripture, Pastor, or is there one other time? Doesn't matter. He's only mentioned once or twice in Scripture. Uh, the appearance must have shocked Daniel because he passed out and Gabriel had to revive him. So Gabriel explains the vision in verses 19 to 27. He said, I am here to tell you what will happen later in the time of wrath. What you have seen pertains to the very end of time. The two-horned ram represents the kings of Media and Persia. The shaggy male goat represents the king of Greece, and the large horn between his eyes represents the first king of the Greek empire. The four prominent horns that replace the one large horn show that the Greek empire will break into four kingdoms, but none as great as the first. Now, the first was Alexander. At the end of their rule, when their sin is at its height, a fierce king, a master of intrigue, will rise to power. He will become very strong, but not by his own power. He will cause a shocking amount of destruction and succeed in everything he does. He will destroy powerful leaders and devastate the holy temple. He will be a master of deception and will become arrogant. He will destroy many without warning. He will even take on the prince of, peace in ba prince of princes in battle, but he will be broken, though not by human power. Verse 26 says, the vision about 2,300 evenings and mornings, and I don't even want to get into that, is true, but none of these things will happen for a long time, so keep this vision a secret. Then I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for several days. I can imagine that. Afterward, I got up and performed my duties for the king, but I was greatly troubled by the vision and could not understand it. Okay, take a deep breath, stretch, wake up. We're, we're almost at the end. This is what I find confusing about prophecy. There's, there's a historical part of this that, that's already happened. Um, the verses from 9 to 12 are about Antiochus Epiphanes, or Antiochus IV. And he ruled Syria from 175 to 163 BC, and he was known as one of the cruelest tyrants in history. He gave himself the name Epiphanes, or Epiphanes, Epiphanes, which means illustrious manifestation or revelation of the gods. That sounds like a humble guy, right? <laughs> um, he minted coins with his image that had Theos, God, printed on them, the word Theos. Due to some court intrigue among the priests, his priests, one of whom attacked Jerusalem thinking that Antiochus was dead. So he became so ticked off at this that he sent an army of 20,000 men and they sacked the city. He then issued an edict to outlaw the Jewish religion and create only one religion in his kingdom. He stopped the Sabbath, prevented circumcision, prohibited Jewish dietary laws. He replaced the altar with one to Zeus and sacrificed a pig on it. On December 14th, 165 BC, what happened? Anybody know? No Bible history buffs in here? I'll tell you, this stuff gets interesting. Even pastors starting to fall asleep. Uh, <laughs> sorry, Pastor Jeff. Um, you ever hear of Judas Maccabus? Yeah. The uh, Maccabean Revolt? Well, Judas Maccabus delivered Jerusalem and cleansed the temple on December 14th. What comes out of that? Hanukkah. The Maccabean Revolt, as it was called, 
You can investigate that for yourself, but it's an interesting piece of Jewish history. And guess what happened to Antiochus? He died in 163 B.C., totally out of his mind. He was a madman. Now, if you go back over verses 9 to 27, you're going you're to see some prophecy that, that looks like what we read in Revelation. Do you think Antiochus was a type of the Antichrist? Yeah, I think so. And I'm sure we're going to cover that in some of the later sermons on Revelation that, that Pastor Jeff's going to do. Now, there's three more chapters of prophecy left in Daniel. I am not going to do that to you. Not today. And I'm, in, I'm kind of exhausted trying to deal with the first eight. So maybe some other time. But I'll give you a quote from Tiff Shuttlesworth, who we've all seen quite a bit. He says, prophecy wasn't meant to scare you. It was meant to prepare you. So as you think about all this stuff and you get confused by it and everything, just keep reading your Bible and keep listening to Pastor Jeff with what we're doing in Revelation and all that. And it'll start, you know, it, it, some of it's starting to come together for me and I've been at this for 20 or 30 years and there's a lot of you out here that have been at it way longer than that. So um, I'm gonna say again that I believe that God is pushing prophecy right now to prepare us for the rapture and to give our unsaved friends a foretaste of what is coming. Uh, and I believe, as, as does the Assembly of God, that the church is gonna be raptured before the tribulation starts. But there's a lot of people out there that don't believe that. But I think there's enough scripture in there to, to, tell, to tell us that it's gonna happen that way. But it, like the rest of you, I'm kind of concerned for the unsaved. So if you aren't sure where you stand this morning, if Pastor Jeff doesn't do it, I'm gonna do it. If you feel that you're not listening to these words by accident, I assure you you're not. That's the Holy Spirit trying to draw you in. And if you'd like to make a commitment this morning to Jesus, well, Pastor Jeff's here, I'm here, there's board members here, there's plenty of good Christian people here to, to talk to you, so... See one of us and we'll, we'll talk to you about it. Um, as far as the rapture is concerned, my, my, my only answer to the people that say that the church isn't gonna be raptured first is 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, for God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. I take that as meaning that if you're saved, you're not gonna have to go through that. Um, you can take from, from it whatever you want. Let's pray. You got a sermon that you can? It's, it's only 12 o'clock. We could go for another. We went for another half an hour last week. You all are still awake. I want to congratulate you on that. I really do. Because I, I, some of this stuff is really, can really get tedious. Thank you. I was going to say boring. Father, thank you so much for your word. It, it, it frustrates us, it confuses us, it, it, it does a whole lot of things to us, but it does enlighten us, Lord. And the more we read it, the more we understand. And the more we understand, the closer we get to you, and that's what it's all about. So, Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the, for the prayers that are, are lifted up, for healing for everyone, uh, especially for my wife. I thank you for the good people in this church that... that that show people who Jesus is. 
And that's the most important thing, Lord. Just let us keep doing that. Enable us to do that. Uh, force us to do that. Make it so uncomfortable when we're not doing that that we just have to show people who Jesus is. Be with us today. Bless us. Uh, let us go out into the week and be your people, Lord, for you. And Lord, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.